Well, good morning, Linwood. I want to play a little game to get us started, okay? You ready? I'm going to say a line, and you're going to say whatever comes to mind after I say that line. I, I have a hunch for how this is going to go. So I'll say something, you say it loud and proud, whatever you think comes next, okay? Everybody ready? Do this. Okay. Row, row, row your boat. Good job. You guys got that one. I'm not the only one that knows that song. Okay, how about this one? Ba-ba, black sheep. You don't need to go any further than that. We don't need to do the yes sirs or anything like that. But now you understand why I don't lead worship. Because you just heard me sing two lines and you said, that's enough of that. So this next one isn't even a song, okay? But are you ready? Peekaboo. I see you. That's where I was wanting to go with this whole thing. That the delight in a child's face when you play peekaboo with them makes you think it's almost more about you than it is about them, right? Like when you get to play peekaboo with a little kid that you're fond of and you say peekaboo and they say, I see you. There's just a joy and a delight and I think it underscores a fundamental human need that each and every one of us have and that's to be seen and to be known and to have people in our lives that will look us in the eye and say, I see you. You matter. I'm glad you're here. And so as we talk about parenting today, we're in a series titled Kingdom Families. We've been spending the last four weeks, including today, on this subject, and we're focusing on family matters because families matter. The people that we spend the majority of our life with, they matter to us. And I wrote something early, just as this series was getting started, I said it in week one, but I was reminded of it this week, that I think we can all agree when things are good at home, everything else can be bad, and we're still okay. But man, the flip side of that is true as well, that when things are not good at home, everything else can be good, and we're not quite okay. Families really matter. And they really matter to us here at Linwood. Our vision is to be and increasingly become a healthy family of families. We added that word healthy because we recognize that not all people grow up in healthy families and functional families. And that when you say the word family, something different comes to mind for each one of us. And some of those are really full of warm, fuzzy memories and some not so much. And yet, the church, I believe is called to be a healthy family of families where people can come and maybe be reparented by God, reparented by the fellowship of believers, by the body of Christ, and find a healthy family to be a part of as they grow in their relationship with Christ. And so at the outset here, I want to celebrate sort of a mission-accomplished moment, and it was last Sunday as I was walking through the spring picnic, and well over 100 people, probably close to 150 people stuck around after church to have a family picnic together, and it was awesome. And I saw people that are new to Linwood in the last couple of weeks connecting with new people. I saw kids playing. I saw people, you know, just sharing life together. And it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. And we had a pretty wonderful morning as well as we had Robert. I always want to call him Roger, but it's not. It's Robert Rogers. We had Robert Rogers with us, and he was sharing with us about how we can live a life of no regrets and how we can react, interact with God 
and not have any regrets with God, not have any regrets in our marriage with our spouse or with our families. How can we do that? And what are the ways that we can do that? And he had lots of practical advice on things that we could do to live a life of no regrets, not to mention a powerful story. And it highlighted a couple of our core values of centering our lives on the Word, spending time in God's Word every day, getting it into us, into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives, and leaving a legacy of faith. These things really matter to us. And so as we turn our attention today, as we sort of narrow the focus, it's interesting, we started with our relationship with God, that to be a kingdom family, we get to join the family of God. That is the kingdom family. Jesus said in John 1.12, if anyone would receive me, if anyone would believe in my name, he would have the right to be a child of God, to be part of the family of God. And I've been in some men's groups uh, for several years now, and it was powerful to hear people reading through Romans. And Paul talks about this again in Romans. And grown men saying, I'm a child of God. That's powerful. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And that's the truth that the gospel makes real in our lives. But then we looked at marriage. And so we narrowed the focus a little bit because not everybody's married and we understand that. Not everybody's going to be married. We understand that. But we looked at marriage and we looked at this idea that a kingdom marriage is submission competition, right? That we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll revisit that thought today. But now we narrow the focus a little bit more, and we're talking about kingdom parenting, and we're talking about investing in the lives of the next generation as we do that. And we recognize not everybody's a parent, but like I said in the marriage one, if you're not married, you shouldn't have checked out. If you're not a parent, you shouldn't check out of this message either, because we don't come to church just for ourselves. We come to church to get the game plan for what we should be focusing on in the week ahead. As we go out into that world that's not in church on a Sunday morning, can we take something to them? Can we be for them in a new way? Are there parents that are in your life that you can come alongside and encourage and support and strengthen? Are there those that you can pray for? Do people come to mind? And I think of grandparents. As I look out over the auditorium, I see grandparents. I see aunts and uncles. I see godparents. And you matter, like more than you probably realize, you matter. And so we celebrate that and we turn our attention to that with the recognition that parenting can be a source of guilt or shame, just like we talked about with family or with marriage, that there might be some regrets. But this is a shame-free zone. We don't do shame here. We're more focused on reconciliation, on forgiveness, maybe self-forgiveness, and on freedom. Scripture tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And He wants us to experience freedom in the power of the Spirit. And so I shared a, a line a couple of weeks ago that got shared a lot on social media, and that's often an indication that it struck a nerve or it resonated with people. And it was a line from a, a podcast that I've been listening to, and a guy named Andrew Chapman just said it in conversation. He said, you know, you cannot hate yourself into being a better person. And I remember the interview was talking about, you know, how many people have sort of a harsh inner critic. They're really hard on themselves. Harder on themselves than anybody else around them. And he was making this point, you can't hate yourself into being a better person. And I, I wrote that down and then I journaled on it the next day and I was reflecting on it. And I was realizing, you know, you can't hate your spouse or your 
or your kids into being better people either. You can't really hate anybody into being a better person. You might get some compliance in the short term, but it comes at a cost, just like it does with ourselves. And then as I interacted with that thought, I wrote in my journal, but God can love you into being a better person. Jesus can forgive you into being a better person. The Holy Spirit can lead you and guide you and direct you into being a better person. And when that happens for you, now you can come into somebody else's life and you can love them into being a better person. You can lead them into forgiving themselves or forgiving the others that maybe have put shackles around them into being a better person. And that's called discipleship. And that's how this thing continues to move forward. And so as we turn our attention to kingdom parenting today, we're going to camp out in Ephesians chapter 6. If you were here a couple weeks ago for kingdom marriage, we finished out Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up where that leaves off. So if you want to turn to page 1823 in the Pew Bibles or to Ephesians chapter 5, I know I said 6, but we're going to start and do a little refresh in chapter 5 because some of you weren't here two weeks ago and some of you have forgotten what we talked about two weeks ago. Let's just be honest. It comes out as fast, right? And in Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about how to live a life of love. Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you would love one another. In fact, he even said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Paul opens Ephesians chapter 5 by saying, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. There's that idea that you're a child of God. And then he says, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's two things being addressed here. First, that we would imitate God just like little kids want to imitate their dads. That we would imitate God because He has loved us unconditionally and sacrificially. And then He points us to Jesus and He says, Jesus is the example in this life of love that we are to live by. And after He establishes that foundation, He spends the next 18 verses giving practical, applicable examples of how to do this, practical teachings on living together in community. And verse 21, that verse we really focused on a couple weeks ago, is also the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today because it kind of ties the first part of of Ephesians chapter 5 to the next section. He says, submit yourselves to one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this transitional verse ties everything that he's just said and brings it into the context of a Christian household, of a kingdom family. And it's such a powerful phrase and it's such a powerful concept that we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And as I was reflecting on that, I realized that if you reverse the order, there's power in that too. Maybe even more power that out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. And he moves into the Christian household, he moves into the kingdom family, but it doesn't stop there. This is how we're to live with one another, that we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We see that first in the marriage relationship, wives submitting to husbands, husbands submitting to wives, and then he moves on to children and parents. But as I reflected on this, I realized that two weeks ago, our bottom line was that a kingdom marriage is a submission competition, that we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this idea that a really healthy marriage is a friendly competition where you kind of wake up with a little smile on your face, I'm going to out-submit you today. Out of reverence for Christ, of course. 
And that's important because, you know, by 3 p.m., you might not be feeling like doing it out of reverence for them, but you can still do it out of reverence for Christ. And that would be a healthy marriage, a submission competition, a friendly competition. In week one, we said we are all current or potential children of God. And that's not just within the church building here. That's everybody you lock eyes with for the rest of your life is either a current or potential child of God. And so how we treat one another matters. And today's bottom line, I'll give it to you early, it sort of merges those two into one, those two ideas into one. And the bottom line today is that kingdom parenting is king's kids parenting king's kids. I believe that's what's in view when we talk about kingdom parenting is children of the one true God, they're in the kingdom, and they are parenting, they are shepherding, they are raising up, they are instructing children of God. They're doing so in a way that, that their children would most naturally choose to become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We talk about this when we do child dedication. That you're setting the table, you're dedicating yourself to creating an environment that will foster your children most naturally choosing to become children of God. And I love this bottom line's theme that it reminds us whose they ultimately are. I love my kids. Holy cow. I'm so pleased in the relationships that I have with them and the young men that I see them becoming, but they are not my kids, first and foremost. They belong to God, and I have to remember that as their father and as a parent. And so the idea that kingdom parenting is king's kids parenting king's kids reminds us whose they ultimately are, and it also reminds us that if you're a child of God and you choose to invest in the life of another person, that's an example of kingdom parenting. And it matters. It really matters. When you step into somebody's life, when you step into a young person's life and you say, I see you, and you matter, and I'm here for you, and I'm a safe place for you. And so I want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to look at these four verses, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll walk through it a little bit more slowly. But in verse 1, he addresses children, and parents, you can get your amen ready. I mean, this is good stuff right here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. A couple amens. There we go, right? We like that one. Oh, it gets wetter. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, now we get come into the focus. And this is parents as well. He just referenced father and mother in verse 2. So this is fathers and mothers. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is, this is the ideal right here, that children would obey and that parents would not exasperate. This is sort of what submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ looks like in the parent-child relationship. It starts with children. Submit to your parents out of reverence for Christ. And in this case... Paul uses two main themes, obedience and honor. And I think it's important to kind of hit pause right here, kind of like I did in the marriage, because sometimes I have seen these verses abused to keep people in abuse or to keep people in controlling unhealthy environments. And I don't believe that's what Paul has in mind here, that you should stay, just, if you, should, you should stay in an unsafe environment because of these verses, yet I've seen that used. I've seen that used to manipulate and to control and to keep people in fear and people feeling powerless. So if you're not safe, 
you got to get safe. you got to find somebody that can help you get safe. Whether you're a young child or whether you're an older adult. And so there is obedience and there is honor that is due to godly parents, absolutely. And it's interesting because obedience, we all kind of know what that is. That's you do what they say. <laughs> you defer to them. You follow their rules. But he doesn't stop at obedience. He points out in verse 2 that there's a commandment that deals with this, to honor your father and mother. And then this idea that this is the first commandment that comes with a promise. So it's not just obedience, it's also honor, that we would honor our father and mother. And honor was a big deal. In fact, in the Mosaic law, if a child struck or cursed their parents, the penalty was death. So that went a long ways to keep this from getting out of control, right? And some of you are chuckling. <laughs> you shouldn't be chuckling. This is a big deal. Some of you have been to that point, I'm sure. But honor means to treat someone with proper respect due the person and their role. There's a person, a father, a mother, but that person's in a role. And both the person and the role can be worthy of honor, can be worthy of respect. And so we treat them with deference. We defer to them. We obey what they say. And then the second, this was from the English Standard Version Study Bible. I really liked it. And there was a second kind of layer to this. And, and that was not just doing this while you're young, but it comes full circle that you would provide for and care for and look after your parents in old age. That's how you honor your parents. It wasn't just while you were young. This was also something that you would do in older age. And I believe this is where the generational impact comes in. And I think this is where what Paul is, or what, yeah, what Paul is saying when he says it's the first command with a promise that it would go well with you and that you would live a long life? Because when your children see you honoring and caring for your parents, that's the natural thing to do, and they'll be much more likely to do it for you when you are older. And I've talked about this before, that the generational impact was huge, that, that children were essentially your retirement plan. There were no 401ks. There were no IRAs, right? You had a lot of children, and then you turned your family business or your family farm over to the children, and the children would provide for you in old age, and that's the way that things transmitted forward. And so I think there's an element of that, too, that when you honor your parents, not only when you're a young child, but when they are older, your children see that, and they'll be more likely to honor you, and things will move forward in the way that they are supposed to. And I find it interesting that both Jesus and Paul underline the importance of this commandment multiple times in their ministries. Multiple times they call this one out and highlight it. And so it really matters that children submit to their parents out of reverence for Christ. But he's not done there. He continues, and it, while it's a shorter one, I think it's very profound what he says. He says, fathers, mothers, parents, do not exasperate your children. How many of you have used exasperate in the last 24 hours? We don't use this word all that much. I think most of us know what it means. Other translations will say, do not be harsh with your children. Do not embitter your children. Don't provoke your children. There's a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, where it says, or they will become discouraged. They will become defeated. They will become dejected. Don't be harsh. And I think it highlights this continuum that I've shared before when it comes to parenting or any real relational 
setting, a relational atmosphere. That on one hand, on one extreme, you could be autocratic and controlling and my way or the highway and do what I say because I said it. Or on the other hand, you could be completely absent and apathetic. And neither one of those is the mark. The mark is to be authentic in the middle and to be present and, and to show up and to put that child and their welfare at the forefront. Not being autocratic, which could create an environment where that child is, is dejected and defeated because they feel like there's, nothing's ever enough. Nothing's ever good enough. And I talk to people who grew up in that setting. Or I talk to people who had more of an absent parent situation. No parent saying, I see you, you matter, I love you, I care about you. And so authenticity is where we have to strive to spend the majority of our time as parents, all of our time as parents, so that our children don't become discouraged. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say don't exasperate him. He doesn't just give the negative command. He also gives a positive command. He says, instead, instead of exasperating your children through being autocratic or being apathetic and absent, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. Grow them up in the training and the instruction. And so instruction is where we teach. Training is where we show. We train them how to have a relationship with God. We train them and how to interact with people. We bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so I find it interesting that that phrase, in the Lord, is in both sides. In verse 1, children are told, obey your parents in the Lord. It's basically saying obey your parents out of reverence for Christ. And here, in verse 4, parents are told, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. Submitting to them out of reverence for Christ, not putting yourself under them where the kids rule the roost. We all know that's not what is in view here, but that we would submit and put them first in our lives. Not myself first, but my children first, that I would sacrifice for them. That's love when we make a self-sacrificing surrender and we put our own will and desires in the back seat to care for these children. And we basically, this training and instruction of the Lord is everything Paul's been talking about in chapter 4 and 5. All the do's and the don'ts and, and the do this and don't do that. And so when you put this all together, you see that kingdom parenting really is king's kids raising king's kids. That we recognize they're not our own. We recognize that parenting is a stewardship. And I share this verse a lot, but it's a really important verse for a biblical worldview. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and everyone in it. They all belong to God. And so your children are not just your children, they're also His children. And we must submit to Christ in our parenting. And so I have a tip for you on this, and I'm not going to give you a thousand things to do. I'm, I'm going to kind of have a conversation with parents because I see this mentality sometimes. And so my tip to you parents is don't just bring them to church. Don't just bring your kids to church. That's a great place to start. Definitely bring your kids to church. But that's a terrible place to stop. That's a great starting line, but it's not a very good finish line. And I love that oftentimes young families come to Linwood because they're starting a family, they have children, they want their children to grow up in church. I celebrate that. That's wonderful. 
But I have a little illustration that will kind of help bring this point home. This little jar right here has about 75 beads in it. And the number 75 is important because that's about how many hours we get with the kids that are brought to church at Linwood. 40, 45 Sundays a year and maybe 30 or so Wednesday nights per year. That's, that's the ones that come the most. A lot of them come once or twice a month and once or twice on Wednesday. And so you can do the math on that. And so that's 75 hours and, and that's great. And we're going to do the best we can with them. And we're going to teach them about Jesus and we're going to help them understand how the Word of God fits together and what it says about them and what it says about God and all of those things. And we're going to do that faithfully every single year. But to put this in perspective, this next jar shows about how many hours the average parent has with their children. It's based on 30 hours a week. So you get three or four a day maybe and then more on the weekends hopefully. And so which one's going to have the bigger impact on that child following Jesus for a lifetime? Is it going to be the 75 hours a week? Or will it be the 1,500? I'm sorry, 75 hours a year. Don't bring your kids to Linwood for 75 hours a week. We're going to have problems. 75 hours a year. Or the 1,500 hours a year. Now what if these two could work together? And that's a big value that we have here at Linwood in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry. Both Kidsway and LSM try to equip parents. We have the Kidsway Connection. We send papers home with kids so that you know what we were talking about. And there's activities that you can follow up with them. I know Pastor Zach sends out emails to the parents so that they know what the message is going to be about. And has a few questions that parents can ask to engage their children with that. And so that's a step and that helps and these two can work together. But I also know that so much more in parenting is caught than taught. So much more of what we do is caught by our children than even is taught by us. And I found a beautiful example of this. This brought tears to my eyes a couple of weeks ago. And it, I've got a little video I'll show you here. This is Corey Day and her granddaughter. And they're making their way through the sanctuary. Maybe you've seen these, these prayer flags. they got a good biblical basis that, that this banner would go before. Whether somebody was going out into war, the banners would go before and they would pave the way. And let me tell you, every Sunday morning there's a war taking place over your heart. In this room sometimes the, the spiritual forces are in battle and we pave the way through prayer. And I thank God for Corey and Sarah and others who come and faithfully pray for these services, pray through this space. But those banners would also go before on a victory procession. And I think that's happening every week. As people come into this place, there's a victory procession that we are invited to be a part of. And those banners pave the way. And you see little Adley following your grandma around, not necessarily aware of all the theology and all that goes into that, but she sees grandma doing and she wants to do what grandma's doing. And it's beautiful. And your kids are going to be a lot more likely to engage Scripture if when they walk upstairs in the morning they see the Bible open on your lap or they see you spending time or it's intentional time in your family that you begin and end the day with Scripture. You begin and end the day with prayer. That when there's a problem, when there's a challenge, when there's a difficulty in your lives, you stop and you pray. That normalizes that. That makes that this is what we do. This is normal. This is not the exception to the rule. And so you see what they're learning in Sunday school and Wednesday night gets integrated with what they're seeing at home. 
And that's kind of like soaking those little beads in water. Many, some of you may have noticed that those are water beads. If you put those things in water, they grow. And, you know, one bead at a time doesn't seem like much, but when you keep putting those beads in, you keep spending that time, you keep making that investment, you keep watering it, you keep putting life into those children, then it grows and it multiplies and it increases. And it's beautiful and it's powerful. Because kingdom, kingdom parenting is king's kids parenting king's kids every day. Now, I was going to close with that famous Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage. Behold, the Lord your God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Teach your children to love God as you come and as you go. But then this week, I was reading Psalm 78, and, and these words just leapt off the page because this is what we're talking about. This is what we're sharing about today. And so this is a psalm. This is a song that Israel would sing in worship. And this is a commitment that the people of God would make as they were worshiping God. In Psalm 78, verses 4 through 7, they say, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children. Then... They would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. That's why this matters so much. That's why the church and the family have to be working together. Not just for our kids and our grandkids, but for entire generations. You see that we will tell the next generation in verse 7 or verse 4. The whole thing. The entire generation. And let me tell you, I don't know if you've read the articles, I don't know if you've seen the news reports, but this generation, Gen Z, I think has as much potential, if not more potential, than any generation to really change things in this world, and yet they are struggling. They are struggling so much. Fear and anxiety and depression are crippling them at unprecedented rates. They need our help. They need our help. I heard of two young people that took their own lives this last week. Like young, young. Like not even middle school age. And that breaks my heart. And church, we can be a part of the solution. We can help. And there are people in this congregation that are being a part of the solution, and we celebrate that. And they're foster parents, and they're adopting, and they're mentoring, and they're being reading buddies in the schools, and they're serving in Kids Way and LSM. And let me tell you, these are, are my heroes. Honestly. I look out, and I see people who are investing sacrificially in the lives of this next generation. And they're heroes. They show up every week in Kids Way or every other week in Kids Way or every week in LSM. And they look kids in the eye and they say, I see you. I'm glad you're here. You matter. You matter to me. And they show up again and again and again. And they step into the foster world and they step into adoption. And they tell children, I see you and you matter. And so there's all kinds of practical applications. There's all kinds of action steps that you can take. I've talked about this, these concentric circles, you know, like start in your own family. And if there's some conviction and some things that you need to change, then, then make some commitments and make some changes and, and address those things. But if things are good at home, man, we need to spread that. We need to share that. If you have spare time, if you have time in your schedule that you could invest in the lives of a young person, 
Then we have Kids Way. We have LSM here in our church. And we have mentoring. We have a partnership with Cleveland Elementary. We've had this for three or four years. We've been talking about it for three or four years. And to my knowledge, there's three mentors and one or two reading buddies from this church at Cleveland. And that hit home for me when I started noticing this landscaping company that I kept seeing guys mentoring young boys because I go and mentor a young boy at Cleveland Elementary. And I saw all these guys wearing the same stuff. I said, you work for that company? And they said, yeah. I said, well, how many of you are mentoring here? He said, well, there's six of us now and another one's going to start next week. I said, really? How did that get started? Oh, we had a staff meeting and they encouraged us to mentor a kid. Now, maybe they're getting paid on company time. I don't know. doesn't really matter. But I left feeling a little, a little sad. And I'm, and I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. I'm just sharing, like, as a pastor, that made me a little sad. That we've been talking about this for three years, and we got more people from a landscaping company than from a church this size that are mentoring kids in a Title I school. And there's a waiting list. And it's an hour a week. And so if you can give an hour a week to to mentor a young person. You can sign up with Lutheran, Lutheran Social Services. I did this. It's a fairly painless process. You can go to this website. You can go to the QR code. It's going to be on the screen any second now. And uh, that would help you take your next step and become a mentor. Do we have that slide? There we go. All right. So you can scan that code and follow up with this later. You can jot down that website. But this is, this is a way that we can change the world. This is a way that we can be king's kids, parenting king's kids, and you never know the impact that that will have on somebody's life. There's also an event we've been talking about for the last few weeks called No More Orphans that's really highlighting the, the need for fostering and adopting families and those that will support fostering and adopting families. Don't decide not to go to No More Orphans because you don't think you can foster or adopt. Go and see what other ways you can be engaged in helping meet the need and coming alongside the families that are fostering and are adopting. Or maybe helping to mentor students and kids that are in those settings. And so these are all just ways for you to react. These are all ways for you to respond. If you're wanting to take a next step, if the Spirit is leading you forward, I would encourage you, don't say, I can't because. Say, well, you know, I could if. And finish that sentence. I remember when I decided to become a mentor, I, I was like, give me, at the time, a, a seven-year-old, as I had a seven-year-old. In fact, I'd had four seven-year-olds. <laughs> so give me a seven-year-old. I kind of know what to do with seven-year-old boys, to some degree. And I, I thought I was doing it for him, and it has made a huge difference in his life. I have no doubt about that. But it's made a huge difference in my life. And there's not much better feeling than seeing a kid light up and tell his friends, that's my mentor. And being excited and hearing from a teacher that that's the best day of the week for that kid is the day that you come to mentor. So I just want to encourage you, whatever your next step is, lean into God and ask, what is that step? And what could you do? And could you get set up so that next school year you could be a reading butter, you could be a mentor of a student? And as the worship team comes up, I want to transition now into communion. We participate in communion on the first Sunday of the month here at Linwood, and, and we do so in an open environment, and that's important because if you're here today as a visitor or as a guest, I know we have quite a few of those, 
You need to know that you don't have to be a member of this church to participate in communion. The only request that we make is the same one that Jesus made, that as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of him. So if you're in a a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he would do, and you can participate in this act in remembrance of him, then you're welcome at the table. If you have children that are with you today, and you're confident as their parent that they understand the meaning and significance of communion, then they're welcome as well. And so in a few moments, we'll make the elements available and we'll just ask that those of you that are in these two seat sections over here come down the center aisle, receive the elements and return kind of on the outside. Those of you in the middle do the same thing, come down the center aisle and then return around the outside over here. Come down the center aisle to the table and return around the outside. That way everything can move smoothly. But as we do that, we're reminded of our Heavenly Father and his son and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And so the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, he encourages us to not eat in an unworthy manner, that we would examine ourselves and that we would confess anything that comes between us and God, anything that the Spirit brings to mind, anything that we need to set down or to lay at the cross, to receive his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And so this song is played not just to give us time to receive the elements, but to give us time to reflect and to consider what it is that we're doing. Because Jesus told the people in John chapter 6 that his body was the bread of life. And he said, this bread that came down from heaven, your fathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. This is symbolic of the eternal life that is available to us in Jesus Christ. And we do this in remembrance of him. So take some time as you're coming to get the elements. Hold the elements as you return to your seat and we'll partake of them together. And take some time to examine your heart and to give thanks to God for his grace and his forgiveness in the person of Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in relationship with you and to have a relationship with you available to us. We give you thanks and praise for who you are. We give you thanks and praise for putting us at the forefront, for sacrificing your life on the cross that we could become children of God. And we ask you now in these moments to reveal to us if there's anything that has come between us and you, anything that has drawn our hearts away, anything that needs to be confessed and repented of. And as we partake with clean hands and a pure heart, Lord, would you remind us who we are and whose we are. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.